0: Well, this morning, we're not in a series right now, but I've got a single message here today. It's titled, It's All in Your Mind. Let me ask you, how many know a mind can be a powerful thing? Anybody realize that yet? A mind can be a very powerful thing. Might strike you as odd, but I want to start out with a few powerful movies that I have encountered along the way. How about Gladiator? Anybody ever see Gladiator? Remember Russell Crowe? Great actor. Great actor. Remember his famous line where he says, My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, loyal to the, servant, the tr- servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or in the next. Pretty powerful. I know I don't sound like Russell Crowe, but pretty powerful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> then there was the movie 300. A story about a tiny coalition of Spartan fighters who make a heroic stand against the massive Persian Empire, their massive army threatening to enslave them. With unflinching courage, the soldiers battle valiantly and die boldly and nobly for the freedom of Greece. Then there was Braveheart. Anybody remember that movie? One of the best battle cries of all going into war. I want you to take a look at this clip as he motivates his soldiers and warriors to go into battle. Take a look. Hallelujah. Hey, if that doesn't fire you up, nothing will. Let me just say, if that doesn't fire you up, check your pulse this morning, amen, or check your neighbor's pulse. That ought to fire you up. I said all that to say this, we need to get fired up. Sometimes in the spirit world, we need to declare a, declare a little bit of war, because whether you realize it or not today, you're in one, The Bible even lays out three ways that it shows us that life is a battleground. Life is a battleground, and the first battle we fight, or the first one we fight a battle with, is the devil. Let me just say, he's real. He's not this little guy in a red jumpsuit with a pitchfork and a ponytail and a couple horns. No, he's a very real spiritual being. And the Bible's very clear, very specific, that we as followers of Christ need to be very aware of public enemy number one, Satan, who's out to attack us. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking or looking for someone to devour. Guess what? He's not alone. Guess what? He's got a company with him. He's got a crew with him. He rolls pretty deep. He's got a bunch of fallen angels that we know of as demons. And they're constantly opposing us as Christians. And this guy will use anything and everything in his means to accomplish what the Bible says he came to do, and that's kill, steal, and destroy. And he's pretty good at it. Let me just say that. The second battle or conflict that that comes at us is the world. Believe it or not, the world is at war with us. John chapter 15, verse 19, Jesus says this, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. And when I say the world this morning, I'm not talking about geography. I'm not talking about the oceans or the lands, Illinois or planet Earth. I'm using this the way the Bible uses it. It's a worldview that's hostile toward God. It's a worldview that's hostile toward God's rule, His reign, and His authority. And the Bible says that God was the one that created each and every one of us. Therefore, I would say He's the one that ought to be in charge. Amen? And our attitude or our response to God and what God commands ought to be to bow down before Him and to say, Thy will be done. You're God and I'm not. I'm just a created being in your image. But we all know this worldview is out there everywhere, maybe more now than ever before, that tries to make us defiantly and stubbornly Ourselves above God? And when you go back far enough, okay, to the beginning, that was the exact same thing that got Satan in trouble. He tried to elevate himself above God. That's how he became Satan. And Adam and Eve choosing not to do the one thing that God told them to do in the Garden of Eden is what got us into this mess of sin in the first place. And you may not like to hear it this morning, but when you make a choice to follow Christ, You invite conflict into your life. Do you realize that? When you make a choice to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you invite a battle into your life. Conflict into your life. Sometimes people make a decision to turn their life in the right direction, turn over a new leaf, make better decisions. Then when they choose to follow Jesus, guess what happens? Opposition comes from all sides. And many times from our old crew or our old friends. Against our old way of thinking. So when you come to live for Christ... There's no doubt there's going to be some pushback, probably a lot of pushback. Because when you decide not to make the same old dumb choices that you used to, guess what? The old crew comes out, starts criticizing you for being a what? A holy roller. And they're right, because I'm rolling for Jesus now, amen? I used to roll for the world, but I'm rolling for Jesus now. There's oppositions that come from all sides. What that means is actually we came by the grace of God to understand that without God, life wasn't going to work. By the grace of God, we come to realize that we were broken. That's why we came to Christ. And it doesn't mean that when we came to Christ, we thought we were better than anyone else because we're not. All of a sudden, we had that revelation moment that said, wait a minute, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I'm lost and I need to be found. So have you noticed this morning that when you walk and give your life to Christ... The enemy seems like he pulls out both barrels against your life sometimes, comes out with an all-out attack. Well, think about it this way. Everybody knows LeBron James, right? LeBron James is guarded pretty aggressively in the NBA. You know why? Because the opposing team realizes he's a threat. Does the opposing spiritual team think you're a threat or not? We ought to be a threat to Satan and his minions. And he's going to do everything that he can to make sure you don't walk in God's peace. Make sure you don't walk in God's plan. Make sure you don't realize that God truly has a purpose for your life. He's going to do everything he can to keep that under wraps. The third area of attack is our fleshly nature. Listen to what it says in Galatians 5.17. For the flesh, the what? For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh they are in conflict or at war with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. All that is saying is there's an old nature living on the inside of all of us that used to lead us and guide us before we gave our lives to Christ when we used to do everything that we wanted to do. We've all been there. But then the day when you gave your, came, when you gave your life to Christ, and the Bible says what happens? You had a new birth. You were born again. You became a new creation. God put a new spirit, a new heart within you. Made you into a new person. So now that you've got the new you, if you've accepted Christ, you've got the new you. You can listen to God. You can do what God says. But guess what? The problem is we've still got the old us. We've still got a part of that old human nature living on the inside that wars against the Spirit of God living on the inside. I believe 100% that there's a devil. I believe 100% that he's our enemy. And I believe that this world brings opposition Brings resistance into our lives and against our lives every day. And how do I know know that from personal experience? And you probably do too. Every day there's a battle going on, raging against us. But I think honestly, if I'd get honest with myself, and I'd like you to get honest with yourself this morning, I would have to say in the bigger picture, I'm my own worst enemy. I am my own worst enemy, and I don't believe I'm alone in the house today. Because we have this built-in, self-sabotaging mechanism in our life. I don't know if you've heard about this story, but in the fall of 2018, the art world, really the whole world, was shocked by an elaborate prank by the street artist named Banksy, who had masterminded the sale of one of his most popular paintings, The Girl with the Balloon. And the auction house in London had it hanging on their wall, getting ready to be auctioned off with this beautiful, elaborate, gold-plated, huge frame around it. And while the people were sipping their champagne and nibbling on their caviar, the painting went up for auction. Someone anonymously gave the highest bid. In American money, it was $1.4 million before the gavel slammed down and said sold. But at precisely that moment, Banksy had arranged for a button to be pressed, which activated a shredder like a paper shredder in the bottom of that elaborate frame that he had built that caused this canvas to be pulled down into the shredder to shred this masterpiece right before this shocked British audience. And it looked a little something like this. This actually happened. Take a look at this video. Kind of appalling, right? Kind of hard to believe that that actually took place. But did you notice in the last moment, the security guards trying to take the painting quickly away? Why did they need security there in the first place? To protect the paintings from the people, right? Right? But no one once thought to protect the painting from the painting. Amen? Think about that. No one ever thought that could ever happen. Do you realize that we're kind of like that painting sometimes? I think we're masters of getting in our own way sometimes. And it doesn't matter how long you've been serving God, sometimes we are our own worst enemy. But you know, we're in good company. The Apostle Paul at times was his own worst enemy. The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, even as a Christ follower, planting churches all over his part of the world, preaching and evangelizing all over his part of the world, said this in Romans 7, verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, this is what I do. What he is actually saying is the stuff that I want to do, that I have a desire to do, that's not the stuff that I do. But the stuff that I hate, and remember, this is the Apostle Paul, the stuff that I hate, that's the stuff I'm constantly doing. You know what I believe that whole thing is? That's us shredding ourselves. We get into critical situations in our lives. We're going through something, a battle in our mind. We do things that we shouldn't do. We know that we shouldn't do just to cope with the pain, cope with the struggle, cope with whatever we're dealing with. Someone once said, the flesh is the ego which feels an emptiness and uses the resources in its power to try to fill it. I mean it can come right down to overeating, you can do that. Through medicating, whether it's prescription or otherwise, through numbing yourself through shopping or or spending, through putting something out there on social media just so you can get some likes to feel better about yourself. You know what that reminds me of? And I'm kind of a junk food junkie. But it reminds me of all those empty carbs that we shove into our mouths that only bring temporary satisfaction for a few minutes but then leave you feeling bloated, leave you feeling sick, leave leave you feeling lousy. So the bottom line is, we know what we should do, and we don't do what we're we're supposed to do. Guess what? That leads to our own hurt. That leads to our own demise. The truth is, we're never ever going to be at our best if we keep treating ourselves the worst. So how do we do this? How do we win the battles that we face, and every one of us face them every day? It's simple. The Bible says we need to be led by the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit every step we take of every day we live, being led by the Spirit of God. Two things happen. The first thing is we need to be led. Galatians 5.18 says this, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And if you're not under the law, you don't have all this weight of condemnation that the law throws at us. Notice it says led, though, not follow. The Spirit's leading is not like... The Indy 500 pace car that's out in front of all the racers behind them that are running in their own power. That's not how the Spirit leads. Our Spirit leads like a locomotive train pulling us along. We're not operating in our own power. We're not operating in our own strength. We're operating in His strength. So to walk by the Spirit actually means to stay hooked up to the divine source and follow Him everywhere you go, everywhere He goes. The second thing, in order to walk by the Spirit, you need to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Produce the fruit of the Spirit. When you see an apple tree, it produces the fruits of apples, right? Well, we as followers of Christ ought to produce the fruits of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit. Again, it's the Spirit's fruit and not yours, not mine. Galatians 5.22 tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Maybe the Apostle Paul wrote that because he remembers something else that Jesus said over in John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. I love this scripture. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So walking by the Spirit simply means to abide in the vine. Keep yourself connected to Christ and don't cut off the flow of the Spirit in your life. Keep yourself intertwined with Christ. Paul goes on and says in Romans 8-7, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't want to submit to God's law. So I'd say the basic mark, the evidence of the flesh is that it's not submissive. It doesn't want to submit to God's absolute authority. It doesn't want to submit to God's absolute mercy. And I'll just say this. When we have no more room in our heart for God because we filled it up with everything else but God and those things are against God, guess what's going to happen to our lives? It's going to wreck our lives. There's no other way around. It's going to wreck your life. If you fill your mind with worldly things and fleshly thoughts, guess what's going to come out? I guarantee you it won't be godly. It comes out. The scripture that backs that up is Proverbs 23, verse 7, where it says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What does that mean? You are what you think. You are what you think. I'm not talking about mind over matter this morning, but what I am declaring is that what we entertain in our minds and what we keep in our minds really does matter. I could break this sermon down into one sentence. You can change the way you feel if you change the way you think. You can change the way you feel if you change the way you think. And the way we feel is usually what causes us all the problems that we deal with in life because we're letting our feelings dictate our life. We're making decisions according to how we feel. And when you let your feelings override your faith, that's when we need to put on the brakes. That's when we need to take a hold of the reins and pull back on the reins and say, Oh, wait a minute. I can't let my flesh lead me. I can't let my thought life lead me. I've got to trust in God's word and not my feelings. How many know your feelings can betray you? Your feelings can lie to you. Let me put you to the test here. Who in here ever thought that wearing a fanny pack was a good idea? Anybody ever thought that wearing a fanny pack was cool? Admit it, 10 years ago you bought a fanny pack, went on vacation with it. Go back and look at those pictures. Not so cool, amen? For some of you, what about a mullet? Anybody ever wear a mullet? Business in the front, party in the back. Amen? I know some of you have. I've heard your stories. What about a permed mullet? Anybody ever go that far? Believe me, you need prayer. Come up and see me after service. But my point is feelings can lie to you. You realize that? They can betray you. They can let you down. Negative thoughts are never, ever going to lead to a positive life. It's just not going to happen. It says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He said, set your minds. Say minds with me. Minds. Set your minds. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Another translation said, on these things below. We find the same thing in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? By the renewing of your mind. He's saying if you want to live right, you've got to think right. It's that simple. If you want to live right, you've got to think right. I guarantee you that none of us ever wake up in the morning, look at ourselves in the mirror and say, man, I'd love to have a terrible day today. We don't do that, right? But yet we allow that into our lives by the stinking thinking that we're allowing in our lives. Because the truth is, without training our minds to focus on Christ and to follow Christ, guess what? We end up being selfish. We end up being negative. We end up being critical, hard-hearted. Where the reward for negativity is more negativity. Do you realize what you go looking for every day is what you're going to find? What you go looking for in your life and around your life is going to be what you see a whole lot more of in your life. This is how it looks in maybe your life. Maybe you thought, well, my co-workers were mean to me last week, and so you go into work this week thinking they're going to be mean to me again. Everything they say and everything they don't say is going to bug you, right? Everything they do and everything they don't do is going to bother you. Everything they laugh at and don't laugh at is going to bother you. Everything that they invite someone else to and don't invite you to, look out, its going to bother you. Why is it going to bother you? Because you went into work that day looking for it, amen? You went into work looking for the negative instead of the positive, and I'm not talking about positive, uh, positive thinking as a replacement for God, but I am talking about positive thinking as a response to God. You know, when you think of all that God has done in your life, our attitude our, ought to be, God, wow, you're an amazing God, you've been so good to me, I'm going to be positive. But when, it, when you break it down, you can't worship and worry at the same time. Do you realize that? You cannot worship and worry at the same time. You can't be accidentally negative and intentionally positive at the same time. Because one's going in that direction, one's going on that direction. So what am I saying? Back to my point. There's a war going on. There's a battle going on in our minds. But do you realize God has given every one of us the ability to win this war? To win this battle? Let me just quickly share with you three F's of taking charge in your thought life. Number one, if you're taking notes, is fix. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, fix your thoughts. Let me just interject, fasten your thoughts on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So you can't worship and worry at the same time. So you can't be over here thinking good thoughts, doing good things, and over here thinking bad thoughts and doing bad things. It just doesn't work that way. So the next time a negative thought comes into your mind, what do you replace it with? A positive thought. How about instead of pouting, sometimes we start praising. Can you imagine the difference that would make? Instead of pouting, you start praising. How about practicing gratitude? How about if we'd practice a little bit of thankfulness for what God has done? That'd be the cure for the grumbling in our lives, amen, that tries to sneak into our lives every day. The Bible says we're not to let our minds wander all over the place. That paraphrases that scripture, but we're not to let our minds wander all over the place. We're to take command of it, take charge of it. Replace the negative thoughts with the positive thoughts. The second thing in taking charge of your thought life is using a filter. Filter. Let me ask you this. Would you eat out of a garbage can that was not only filled with garbage, but filled with maggots, filled with poison? No. That would be suicide. In the same way, if you want to take control of your thought life. You need to filter out some garbage out of your mind. You need to filter out some things out of your life. The third thing, feed. Let me ask you, what are you feeding your mind today? What are you feeding your life on an everyday basis? How many know in the physical, the natural world, it matters what we feed our physical bodies? Many diseases we have today come from poor diets, cancer, heart disease, just feeling all out lousy come from an improper diet. We know that the physical things we eat affect our body and sometimes can hurt our body. But I'll say this, it's not good enough to just stop eating the bad. If you just stop eating the bad, you're going to starve, right? You've got to start, start eating something. So why not start eating the good that will give you life and life more abundantly, amen? Start feeding on the good because it's garbage in, garbage out, good in, good out. You know, there are a lot of sources out there in books, movies that that promote a healthy thought life, but the greatest source of a good thought life is God's Word, amen? Put God in, I guarantee you're going to get God out in your life. You put God into your mind, it's going to come out in your words, your speech, it's going to come out in your actions, your reactions, it's going to come out in every part of your life. Some of you are sitting here probably thinking, well, I've been this way way too long. I can't change, and I don't think God would ever want to forgive me if He could. Maybe you're thinking, I'm bitter. I'm still bitter over something that happened a long time ago. Maybe it's because I haven't forgiven myself of whatever it might be. Let me go back to the Banksy story again. My, my favorite thing about some of the news stories about this Banksy thing was that experts actually estimated that even though this whole elaborate plan of Banksy was to actually kind of point out his hatred of commercialism. He thought art ought to be viewed for its beauty and not for the money part of it. But they actually estimated that now that painting is worth much more than $1.4 million because of the circumstances that surrounded that painting. And they said that the painting was just one piece of the piece of art. The actual art was the whole stunt that day. I've got a point to this. I would say that is true for you and I today. The reason that anyone would pay an excessive amount of money, upwards beyond $1.4 billion for a torn, tattered, shredded canvas, is that they see that canvas as more than just that canvas. They see that canvas as more than just the only aspect of that painting that they purchased. Do you realize the same thing happened with us and God? Think about your life. Your tattered canvas of things, your failures, your mistakes, things that you've done that you wish you hadn't done. Let me just say today, God wasn't surprised at any of that. He knew it was all going to happen. And you might say it was a setup because in that setup, he provided an opportunity to show you and me his love, to show you and me just how valuable we really were. And guess what price? He paid a whole lot more than $1.4 million plus. He gave it all. He gave everything he had for you in me. So this morning, my message is give him your tattered ruins of your life. Give him your broken life. Give him your mistakes. Give him your sins. And let him love you. Let him forgive you. Let him give you a new life. And a life that he says is abundantly It's going to take you from this life to that life. And that's forever. This morning, all he's waiting for us to do is bring the tattered ruins of our life, the mistakes, the regrets, the failures in our lives. And watch him. Turn it into a beautiful masterpiece. Watch him turn it into a glorious portrait of his plan. His beautiful plan for your life. My life has been all about that. He took a broken life and I know yours has too. He's taken broken lives. And if the resurrection means anything, it means that Jesus can take a broken life. And make something beautiful out of it. Isn't that an awesome God? Isn't that an amazing God where He can take a broken life? A failed life that doesn't deserve one ounce of grace. And He said, I'm going to love you enough to stretch my arms out. I'm going to love you enough to lay down my life. I'm going to love you enough to let them drive spikes through my hands. Spikes through my feet. Shove a spear in my side. Put a crown of thorns on my head. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you with my life. My question is, will you love Him with your life? Will you love Him with the love of your heart? God created you to know Him. Do you know that? God created you to love Him. And I have times in my life where I've said a long time ago, I love you, Lord. I make you Lord and Savior of my life. But so many days in my life, I don't live like it. So many days of my life, I'm going that direction when God says to go this direction. So if I know I'm doing it, I know we're all doing it. All I'm saying is I believe God, this message is trying to get a hold of the attention of our heart. To say we need to focus. We need to focus on Him and let Him make a masterpiece out of our ruins. Amen. Our masterpiece, a masterpiece out of the shattered, brokenness of our lives. God can do beautiful things with broken people. Could you stand to your feet this morning? If you receive that, just give me an amen. 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 Could you bow your hearts in prayer? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to celebrate how tattered, shredded ruins in your hands are such a part of a bigger picture, a more beautiful painting and a masterpiece, bigger than we can ever even imagine. Lord, help us to think about the cross where You died for us. You gave Your Son for us. He was willing to be shredded for us to pay for our sins. He loves us so deeply we can't even begin to understand. And today will you receive Him into your heart because He promises He'll make you brand new. He'll forgive you. He'll clean the slate. He'll give you a new hope of heaven. And He'll give you the power to not only live victoriously in heaven one day, but to live victoriously here on this earth. If you're sensing Him here this morning, I do. I know God is in this place. The Bible says He clearly stands at the door of your heart and He's knocking. But you have to choose to open that door. If you're here and you sense Him knocking, I encourage you just open that door. Invite Him to come on in. Maybe you've been fighting Him for a long time. Just say, Jesus, I want you to come in be Lord and Savior of my life. No one else can do it for you. And no one else can make you. C.S. Lewis once said that the gates of hell are locked from the inside. You have to choose to let yourself out by letting Jesus in. Pretty awesome. If that's you and you're here today and you're ready to get with, right with God, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. We make it a whole lot harder than it is. If you've never received Christ into your heart, just repeat this prayer after me. And actually, let's all pray it together. I do this prayer almost every day of my life. Lord Jesus, I hear you knocking on the door of my heart. And I open my heart to you today. And I ask you to come into my heart and into my life to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive me of my sins and help me to walk with you each day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, Lord God, I thank You that by the cross, You've won the victory over every battle that we face in life. you won the battles of our physical needs, our relational needs, our emotional needs. You've won the battles of our financial needs and most of all our spiritual needs that we have. If we'll just turn to You and trust in You. Lord, we thank You for the hope that we have today. And I thank You for the hope that's rising up even through this message this morning because it's Your Word rising up in our lives and for Your faith in our lives being transformed and transforming our lives. Father, I pray that You would lead every one of us today to walk step and step with You, to put You first in our lives. Surround us with Your power and Your presence forever. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Could we give Him just a second of praise just to thank Him? We thank You, Lord, for Your goodness and Your mercy, Your grace that's sufficient. Go and be blessed this week. Bless someone else along the way. God bless you all.